did you get an outline? Okay. Um, chapter 1, we see Christ. We see him above, the glorified Christ. Now we're going to see Christ in the midst of the lampstands, the seven churches of Asia Minor. We understand that number seven to be representative of the church uh, at any time on the earth, any time in our history. Some make them a prophetic overview of the entire church age. We see them as representative of churches and the people who make up those churches. And so uh, also uh, in our bookstore, uh, Michael has gotten the books that we recommended. There's a, uh, quite a few books there on prophecy, uh, on last times. And so I know you'll want more material, and he's got it out there. And visit the bookstore. We've got it for you if you'd like to read it and further your knowledge in the doctrine of last things. We are doing a, a quick overview. We're going to look at the four churches, so we will move and use these three C's, the complement of them, the uh, criticism or the complaint Christ has of them, if there is any, and then his counsel to them. And that kind of gives us a grid. We're not touching on the promises he gives because we're moving as a, an overview. As I said before, it's one thing, uh, and I've had church consultants come in before and evaluate this church. We have had church audits before come in and see if our books are in order. What must it feel like for Christ to visit Valley Bible and for him to evaluate this church? We are one of the seven churches. Uh, we are that corporately, and that means we are that individually. You see, a corporate church life represents the people that go to that church. You, you hear people say, that's such a friendly church. Well, that means there's a lot of friendly individuals that go there. The church isn't, what's the church? Church is you. It's not the building. It's you. We didn't even have church buildings till the third century. We never built buildings. Boy, I wish I could have been in those days. Just get a house. Stay in it. You didn't start acquiring real estate till third century after the church started because they were a pilgrim people going to heaven and we're not interested in building big churches on this earth because churches were the people. Now, Let's look at these four churches. The church of Ephesus, the church that lost its love. Right, 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 but they lost their love. What are the compliments? He compliments them in about eight things, and I just hit these in the right in the verses. I know your works. He says that. That's wonderful, and it's a Greek word, exhausting labor. I know that you're a hard-working church. One, one pastor sent in an annual report to the Southern Baptist Convention. He said, no conversions, no baptisms, no additions. Pray that we'll continue to do God's work. Criswell said this, for some Christians, a lifetime of labor of some of us would not exhaust a butterfly. 
just lazy, lazy. Wherever God's working, people, his people are working. He compliments them for that. He says, he goes on, I know your works, I know your exhausting labor, I know your perseverance. That is, you put up with a lot, but you don't give up. You just remain under pressure. He says, I notice you don't tolerate wicked men. You've tried those who said they were apostles and found them to be false. So they are theologically, doctrinally on their toes. They're not easily deceived. They know. Remember, this church was pastored by the Apostle Paul, started in Acts 19 and 20. It was pastored by Timothy. Paul stayed there for three years. Timothy pastored. John the Beloved was the pastor of the church before he was exiled to Patmos. So you can't get a better pastoral team. Paul, the Apostle John, and Timothy. So this church's problems isn't because of leadership. They had primo leaders, primo pastors, apostles, two apostles. And so now we're about about 40 years past the founding of this church, 50, 55 A.D. Now we're 95 A.D. And so he says, you've tested those who are false teachers. You've endured. You've not grown weary. It's amazing that they're not tired. Uh, they, they're just an incredibly energetic church. And you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, and we'll come to that as we meet this in other churches. His complaint, he only has one complaint. You have fallen from the height where you were. You have fallen, or really you have left your first love. Uh, you're orthodox, you're right, you're discerning. You just don't love me like you did at the beginning. Maybe it's because the church might now be the second or third generation. It's really interesting to see how first-generation Christians normally can be on fire. Not a lot of wisdom, but a lot of fire, a lot of zeal. And then you, you can go down. It should not be second generation may have that zeal, but they could be more refined and calm and whatever, but it shouldn't be, but it happens often. Third generation, uh, give you an example. When's the last time you heard us sing Amazing Grace? Been a while. Now, and wouldn't it bore most of you if we sing it? How many would be bored? Boy, I've got the right crowd. Because because this is old-timey music. That saved a wretch like me. I don't, I'm not a wretch. Yes, you are. I once was blind. Come on, come on. Can't you get something newer and better? No. You get something newer, might not be better. You're not going to beat those words. You're just not. We've fallen in love with style and given up on message. but you've left your first love. People who have left their first love, there's some symptoms about them. They're always talking about how good it was. It's always, man, we used to really pray. Woo, 
I just love the way we used to sing. Why don't you sing now? Well, I don't know it. Well, you, your young people know it. Uh, I used to serve, but I, I put in my time. I'm out. I'm out of here. I used to be a giver. No more. Why? You fell out of love with him. And I've seen these kind of people. They, they pick up grievances and, I don't like this. They become critics of the church. They become critics of other believers. They maybe have unresolved issues. Whatever, whatever happened at Ephesus, he said, I have this against you. And there's four R's, he, he tells them, if they want to fix the problem. Number one, you need to remember where you used to be. You need to remember, remembering is a great tool to get us back. Remember how it used to be. Remember when your heart was cooking. You couldn't get enough of God, enough church, enough of the Bible. Enough. You couldn't get enough. And now we just hope you can make it once on Sunday. You, you just, it just, Christianity becomes a drudgery instead of a feast. Uh, I grew up in times where some revival meetings in our church went for a month. You went to church every night. And I, I went to that church with my dad, who was an iron worker. He didn't work at an office job and lay around. He was climbing steel every day for iron workers, and he never missed a night. What, what kind of religion did he have? He had the kind you couldn't get enough. Couldn't get enough. You left it. You, don't, you know more, but you don't love more. You win more arguments, but the glow has, is gone. You're like a married couple. You still share the same house. You might even still share the same bed, but, but there's no glow. The glow is gone. I call it the romance that became a rut. And uh, the glow is gone. Uh, you're there. You share meals. You share the same bills. And here Christ says, I have this against you. I want to give you four R's. Remember where it used to be. Two, repent. And that word repent, change your mind, and it's the idea of return. Return to where you are. Uh, return. Third thing he said, repeat. Do the things you did when you loved me the most. What did you do when you were greatly in love? What was your prayer life? How were you in the Word? How did you feel about the people of God? Or have you become a seasoned, mature believer? I'm just a critic of what goes on in the church. You lost it. You lost it. There's only one critic that has any authority around here. It's Christ. And I've seen people in church, don't hey, To be a leader in the church is not to be immune from criticism. Everybody tells me what they think we ought to be doing. And they said, we've got a major problem. I know I'm the pastor. That's a major problem. But we've had that 45 years. And another problem we've got is we've got you. If your attitude's not right, are you a contagious Christian? Would people sense the love of God in you? Sense that attraction, that glow? A.J. Gordon said, 
ecclesiastical corpses lie all about us. The caskets in which they repose are lined with satin and are decorated with solid silver handles and abundant flowers. Like the other caskets, they are just large enough for their occupants with no room for converts. These churches have died of respectability and have been embalmed in self-complacency. If by the grace of God, this church, the one he pastored in England, is alive, be warned to our opportunity, or the feet of them that buried your sisters will be at the door to carry you out. Christ is saying, remember, repent, repeat, or be removed. This is Christ speaking. And I tell you, I visited Ephesus. There's no church there today. Have you seen other churches that at one time glowed for God, one time burned brightly for God, that are no more? I must warn you and I, the Lord Jesus may put as many churches out of business as the devil. When you don't love him, when you don't really love him, why do you think he'd have you represent him? It's a scary thing. Remember the high priest, he attended the lampstands. He checked the wicks. He would check for the oil supply. And sometimes a wick would burn down and a lampstand would begin to emanate smoke. At that time, he removed that lampstand and replaced it with another. I've seen God bury churches that grew old, complacent, and cranky. And he replaces it with some young bloods that are wild-eyed, zealous, burning up, don't know all the Bible, don't get it all right, but they're burning anyway. I knew they were blind, but now they see. They knew they were a drug addict, and now they know they're saved. And over here, we're yawning. What's happened? Are you supposed to cool off? Are you supposed to eventually fall out of love? And for your 40th anniversary, it's just a bunch of lies about how you love each other because you become bored with each other. Or is it, I love you greater and deeper than when we began? I sure would like to finish my Christian life loving him more than when I began. I don't want to become an old, cranky Christian that doesn't like to be around young people that doesn't like to be around fresh ideas, fresh songs, fresh ways of doing it. Quit being in love with just your age. Do you love a 20-year-old? Would they get any encouragement from you? Because some of us have become old and cranky, and we've lost the first love, walked away. He goes on, and he talks about the church at Smyrna. Say to the church of Smyrna, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He says this seven times. The one who conquers the believer will not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna, three Ps to remember, three Ps. They live under incredible pressure. They're living with intense poverty, and they're suffering intense persecution. Pressure, poverty, persecution. The word for pressure used of them was used of smashing grapes, stomping on grapes. And he said, it's like you're in the grape vat being stomped, stomped, stomped. That's the kind of pressure I see Smyrna living with. Squeezed out. You're in the city of emperor worship. Domitian, who's in power now. This is a Roman city. Is the first emperor who said, I must be called a god. Not Nero, Domitian. And I want you to say, Caesar, Domitian, is Lord. And the Christians wouldn't do it. So they came under incredible poverty or could lose their jobs. They, they were stigmatized in the community. They stood out like a sore thumb because they wouldn't bow to emperor worship. So they just stand out. It's like, will we, what we're facing as Christians in this country, our Supreme Court is passing laws that pretty soon we won't be able to obey and obey God at the same time. And it's better to obey God and go to jail than to bow to Caesar if he makes laws that go against God. You remember Acts 5 when uh, Peter said, Hey, it is better to fear and obey God than to obey men. And this was a church doing that, but they were paying a price. And so they're living under intense pressure. They have a poverty, and the word for poverty here, it's, it's really, it's abject. It, this is the word. It's destitute, to beg. They were turned into beggars. Uh, to lead the life of a beggar, the one who was begging for scraps of food, begging to just sustain the body, the humiliation of it. I've lost jobs. I'm being taxed by Rome. I'm being persecuted. And my family and I have been reduced to being poor, poor, poor. And besides that, there's a group in the name of Jews who are in cahoots with Rome that they have a synagogue, they call it, but it's really the working place of Satan, and they're working against us. Because when we become Christians, they make us anti-Jewish maybe or anti-the empire. Anyway, we keep coming under persecution. We can't avoid the fight. They're after us. We're poor, we're persecuted, and we're living with immense pressure. It's one of the only... One, there's only two churches, and this is one of crises. I have no complaint. I have no complaint against a suffering church. None of you, I don't think, nor I, have ever been a part of a suffering church that I know of. I've been a part of poor churches. Uh, 
but not this, this bad. I, Carolyn's father really resented me courting his daughter. He didn't like the fact I was going to marry her because he was a preacher's son and a very poor preacher, a preacher that pastored about 18 different churches in California, came out here from Missouri. There were poor Pentecostal churches all up and down the San Joaquin Valley, small. I grew up, if a church ran 100, it, they were really booming. They ran 200, they were a mega church. I mean, we just were in small churches. And usually uh, farm kind of people, country kind of people, uh, economics weren't great. Uh, my folks, for sure, they were fruit pickers. They did the work that you think Mexican people do now in the crops. Uh, my people, when they came to California, picked fruit. Used to pull David on a cotton sack while they picked cotton in the San Joaquin and pull him on a cotton sack. Forbidden to sit in the nice place in the theater. Because if you see Ken Burns, the Grapes of Wrath movie, when they first came to California, they said this phrase. It was in the theaters. Niggers and Okies sat here. And they were in the attics of the theaters. And black people and the white trash from the Midwest weren't allowed to sit there on the main floor. That's my people. It's maybe why I love black people so much. My family had been just as poor as them. And when I asked Carolyn to marry me, preaching among these kind of churches, I remember saying to her, Carolyn, I cannot offer you anything but a loyal heart, for I'm broke, and I think we'll stay broke because I preach among poor churches. She knows he's right there. I don't offer you any riches. You just get me. <laughs> and, and that, she had to be desperately in love. <laughs> they say marriage is an institution and love is blind, so it's an institution for the blind. <laughs> and uh, she said yes, but her dad was not happy. He had to give me a credit card when we left for a honeymoon. Jim Snyder bought my tires when I went on the honeymoon. We were going to go all the way to Jamaica and Haiti, and I'd save $500 to go across country and go there and come back. And he, he resented it. He resented it. He said, I'm sick of being poor. I didn't get my own haircut till I was 18. Had to get a paper route to get a decent. His dad always cut his hair. He resented it. Poor churches. Poor churches, poor. Her uncle pastored a church in Concord, $50 a week, $200 a month. You don't believe that. I do. I know him. I know what the salary was. And all you guys are afraid of preachers getting rich. There's more poor preachers than rich preachers. Get that straight. Get that straight. You take the black communities, most, most black pastors in our area are bivocational. They work on a job, and they pastor on Sunday. They're not getting big salaries. I'm treated as a king compared to them. But I'll say this. 
The joy of the Lord was no greater among us than I found it among those poor folks. They could sing the roof off this place. They were full of hospitality, love, affection. Jesus is coming again. Let's sing about heaven because this hut we're living in down here is sure not heaven. They didn't have big problems with worldliness. They didn't have enough worldly goods to be in love with it. They couldn't buy a theater ticket. They did good to afford a TV. Oh, God can do something even when you're poor if you love him. If you love him. If you want him. Smyrna, I'm going to bless you, keep you. I won't even give you immunity from trials. I'm going to let you be tested. China, I'm going to let you be tested. China, I'm going to let the Communist Party track down the true people of God so they go underground and start the house movement. And by the time the figures come out, we've got 50 million Chinese that have accepted Jesus because communism couldn't end the church, cannot end the church. Poverty could not end the church. The church has been built on the riches of Christ, not on the riches of bank accounts. On Christ, it's been built, his riches. And he gave them up and became poor to make us rich. Smyrna, I have no complaints. I will keep being Lord despite your pressures and your poverty. Pergamos, he goes to them, to the angel at Pergamum, right? I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Sounds like the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, you think of it because it's probably the uh, emperor worship and the idols' temples. It was a major center of sin, idolatry. And I say about that, the San Francisco Bay Area, I lived here all my life. There's more thrones of sin in our area than we can keep up with. It's a place that manufactures multitudes of sin. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. That's strong. He's got a throne, and he's got a dwelling in their city. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then to the one who conquers, which I understand to be the true believer, I will give of the hidden manna and give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. They're standing in a satanic stronghold, but they're standing. He says they've remained true to his name. He says, they did deny the faith even in the face of persecution. Even when one of their pastors, Antipas, was martyred, they, they didn't renounce the faith. 
they didn't run away. Courageous, outstanding. I've got something against you, though. I've got a complaint. And what is that? Well, you have the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans going on among you. Ephesus hated the Nicolaitan teaching. This church is tolerating it, and it's going wild in the church. What are we talking about? Let's first of all take Balaam, Numbers, Numbers 24, 25. Moab, the king of Moab, Barak, he sees Israel coming out from Egypt and the Exodus. He's heard of them. He's afraid of them. So he hires this prophet named Balaam. Come and put a curse on these people. Put a hoax on them. He must have had quite a reputation as a prophet. He hires him, pays the money. And so Balaam comes out and he goes up on the mount. And three times he starts prophesying and he's going to put this curse on Israel. And in the midst of it, God sovereignly overcomes his pay and his motive. And he makes him prophesy good over Israel. And the king has said, I'm not paying you to bless Israel. I'm paying you to curse them. Curse them. Let's try this again. Second time, he blesses them. Third time, he blesses them. After that, he fires him. Get out of here. I hired you to curse them. And we leave the narrative. Not until Numbers 31 did we find out that Balaam did something different. He sold the king on a plan to seduce Israel, get them to sin, and then God would come down in judgment and take care of them. And he did. He killed 26,000 Jewish men. What was the plan? Get some women of Midian, splash some Midianite perfume, wear some Midianite uh, seductive clothing, go on the edge of the camp, and let these viral Jewish men lust and see them. And 1 Corinthians 10 describes it. And they saw them, they lusted, they slept with them. God killed 26,000. The principle is this. You can corrupt what you cannot curse. You cannot curse the people of God for we are under the blessing of Christ, and we're not afraid of satanic hexes. We're under the protection of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't mean you can't sell us an idea that will corrupt us and bring chastisement. I don't think there's anyone that can talk you out of your salvation and get you to hell if you're really his. But I do, they, do believe they can corrupt you so that in this life you make a mess and the judgment of God comes upon you, chastens you. He may even kill you. He killed people at Corinth because he didn't like the way they took the Lord's Supper. 
He took away the health of some Christians because they were drunk at the Lord's table. He didn't take away their salvation. He took away their health, and he took away their life. 1 Corinthians 3.17 said, He who destroys the local church, the word temple is plural, the Lord Jesus says, I will destroy them. Christ kills his children. He kills them. I know of a man that opposed her uncle, was the bully deacon in a church, and was a bully, was unprincipled, and ran over one of the meekest, humblest men I've ever known. And all he did was fast and pray and, and was paid 50 bucks a week. But this man was a bull. He opposed, he opposed. The next thing we knew it, he's dead at 38 just like that, he was gone. He was destroying a church. God will destroy you, and he'll destroy me. Because you see, he's got an investment in the church. It cost him his blood. And so, the teaching of Balaam, you're getting ready to get my people eliminated. You're, my people are buying in on a teaching there, and in that teaching... It's seducing them to be idolaters and to be immoral. It doesn't matter what you do with your morals and sexuality. It was a libertine idea. We can sleep with whoever we want because we grew up that way. This is the pagan world, but the Christians have been saved out of it, and now we've got these teachers coming. It's okay. It doesn't matter what your morals are. You're going to heaven. Live as you want. Do this do that. It doesn't matter. And he said, I hold this against you that you're putting up with that teaching. And then he talks about the Nicolaitans, which is made up of both in Hebrew and Greek. Nico is the word Nike. Nike shoes, it means to conquer, to win. Nike with laos, conquer the people. The word Balaam comes from the same word. Uh, ba means to uh, conquer, and the word Am is the people. So this teaching was the same as the Nicolaitans, the Balaamites, uh, the teaching of Jezebel, the seductive teachers that throw away morality, throw away right and wrong, worship the emperor, blend in, never stand out, never stand out. You might get persecuted. I have to say this. I think many times I see uh, people selling out to the world in the way they dress, in the way they, where they go, what they do. Any movie's good enough. Uh, any dress, modesty, forget it. Forget it. Modesty's out. Uh, this is not 2016. I got to sell the goods. And so, uh, you know, as the preacher said, if the house isn't for sale, take down the sign. And too many girls are wearing too many signs out there, I'm for sale. You can't be for sale if you're Christ. You got to put a, put a model across your head, not for sale. Already purchased. I belong to another. I said I belong to another. I'm not for sale, chump. 
Matter of fact, you mess with me doing God's will, the sovereign Lord of life and death can handle you. But I'm not going to advertise in the meantime. Can I get a witness? Don't put up with false teaching that corrupts the morals of God's people. Don't even put up with the Supreme Court and amen them. They're wrong. They're wrong. Thyatira, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now, if your name's Jezebel, he's not talking about you. I think he's, he's I, I doubt that there's a woman there by that name. I think it's one who represents a Jezebel that was evil and idolatrous. And so it's a name that represents an attitude. She calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice what? Sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. Well, what's Thyatira? The church of tolerance, tolerance. They've got a Jezebel of all things, They've got a woman teacher there, obviously, that is teaching the doctrines of Balaam, the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, a seductive teaching that doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter uh, about where you worship, keep going to the temple, keep doing idols. You don't have to break from the temple. You don't have to break from the temple prostitutes. All, God doesn't mean for that to change in your life. Blend in. You'll have greater testimony if you blend in. And he said, I've got this against you that you tolerate her. She should have been set down, given time to repent, or removed. But she is seducing my people once again. Christ says, I know your works. I know their love. I know their faith. He even says he knows their service uh, in verse 19. And you're more energetic for God now than when you began. The church is doing. I love the commendations. I, I want the accommodations. I wish we would have all these things said about us. The complaint, you tolerate evil sinful teaching at the hands of a woman teacher. You're unwilling to repent. You're having the same influence as the Nicolaitans and the Balaam teachers. Seduction, corruption found in a woman's teaching. I am amazed at some of these ministries I hear about that uh, the minister has gotten so big he's not accountable to be moral. He's gotten so big, he doesn't have to be responsible. His moral life doesn't matter. 
this doesn't matter. You see, that, that no, no, no. No personality is above the Word of God. Charisma is not greater than character. Character. And you watch false teachers. They always go after the women and they go after the money. They love money. Peter said that, Second Peter 2, and Jude says it. And their eyes are full of adultery. They can't look on women and see anything but lust. And they love the dollar because they're false through and through. They're Balaam. They're a prophet for profit. They're a prophet for money, and they're destined to hell. They're going to be like that crowd that said, Lord, we knew you. We even had some services. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You can die and think you're going to heaven to be turned around at the gate and said, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I don't care how big your church was. I don't care how big your name was or how large your TV audience was. I am the Lord, and I produce holiness in men and women. I produce morals. They don't get saved by morals, but the saved folks start looking like sheep acting like sheep, and they leave an idol's temple, and they leave all the prostitutes because the new birth changes you inside out, even the preacher, even the preacher. The preacher is not entitled to the women. He better find one and stick with her all the way. It's going to take all of you to just stay with one. I'm a witness. You don't need three. One would be plenty. They'll keep you broke. <laughs> well, let's uh, wrap it up here. This is too convicting. I might have just ruined my day. <laughs> we must hear the call to repent. In these churches to continue, there's hope if we'll repent. I ask you this. God wants the church to repent, but let's start with you. Have you repented of anything in the last week? Do you ever repent? And that means I changed my mind. I, I changed the direction. And it might be a miracle. You might actually initiate an apology. That'd be a miracle for some of you. Because the only time you've ever been wrong is when you thought you were wrong. See? No. Stubbornness. Stubbornness. I can't repent. I'm, I'm always right. I'm always right. And you see this in people just set in their ways. I, I, I'm not changing. I'm not changing. We know. We know you're not. And you become old wine and old wine skins, and you're bitter. Jesus once says in new wineskins, new containers, freshness. That takes staying current with him. Two, which of these four churches describes you? Were you described at all? You lost first love? Maybe you did. Maybe you haven't. The suffering church, Smyrna, poor, persecuted, 
uh, Pergamum. What about that church? Are you tolerating sin in your life? Do you watch a little porno every week? The statistics are alarming in Christian magazines that tell me how much porno pastors and Christian men are viewing. 60 to 70% of those viewed said they look at at least once a week. I think sometimes we come to church and say, well, the service wasn't really great. Well, how can you when you got a bunch of dirty people that didn't get clean? See, I grew up, we had a prayer meeting in many of the churches I went. We prayed before we had the service. You know what was wonderful about that? You confessed sin, you scrubbed your heart, and you're ready to worship. But some of you just run in here. You may have had a spat on the way. You may not have. You may have stayed up late, saw a movie that was questionable. You come in, and they say, do something to me. Do something. Did you come to worship, or did you come here for me to scrub you? And then you get mad at me and say, boy, he just seemed to be picking on me. Well, you're not hard to pick on when you're guilty. You're guilty. I didn't make you guilty. People all the time say, you sort of tell it like it is. No, well, I learned to lie to you. And they say, I heard from heaven as he lied. No, are you clean? Were you prepared to worship today? Did you worship? Did you worship? Nobody can make you worship. But you see, if we've been handling skunks, we start smelling like them. If we've been handling sin all week and not repent, not confess, not to get clean. Uh, that's what's going on in America today. So much is corrupting us, defiling us. Which church is Valley Bible? We've got three more to look at. But even so far, I think, is there any false teacher we're tolerating in this church now? Is there any false teaching that says you can live any way you want and still uh, go to heaven. Go ahead and sleep with whoever you want. Several weeks ago, I spoke on moral issues out of the book of Hebrews. You'd be amazed at some of the people that got upset. They thought that was outrageous. And the, it came back to me, who do you think you are to say who I could sleep with? It's none of your business. Well, if you want to serve in this church and you want to sleep with someone not your wife, it is my business. I'm going to make it my business. And if you think it's easy to pastor in the Bay Area and have any moral values, you ought to start a church and start pastoring. Because this area is so liberal, they don't know what God says, and they don't give a damn what he said. I do. I fear the lampstand keeper because he can put us out of business starting with me. We've got to do church his way or we're history. No church is guaranteed a future who doesn't repent. We have no future unless we do it his way. God help us. God help us. God bless you. I'm over time. God bless you. Get along with the Lord and do business. <laughs>